You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton, Dylan Terriman, and Alex Varallo. Good evening, Jets fans. My name is Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. I will be joined in a little while by my co-host, Alex Varallo. Dylan Terman will be with us back next week after uh, I've taken some time off and taken, uh, taken care of some things at work and taken care of a move and some things of that nature. Dylan will be back. As I said, Alex will be calling in in a little while. And what a disaster this one was, huh, Jets fans? I mean, my goodness. Robert Sala and company take on the Denver Broncos in Denver, which is a tough place to play. Good team, tough crowd, tough atmosphere. I don't know if you've ever been to Denver. The the, the oxygen situation is uh, definitely one of the more unique home field experiences, or I should say more unique home field advantages in the NFL. Uh, things did not go well for the Jets. 26 nothing. The Jets lose for the second time in three weeks to a quarterback who they unloaded uh, Sam Darnold in week one. And of course, Teddy Bridgewater this past week against Denver. Uh, Bridgewater wasn't fantastic, but he, he was efficient. 19 out of 25, 235 yards. Uh, no touchdowns, no picks, didn't turn it over. Uh, on the other side of the uh, other side of the coin, of course, Zach Wilson. I mean, I don't know what I can say that hasn't been said already since really, I mean, during the game, not even since the game, right? Zach Wilson absolutely under siege, not under center, under siege, uh, and partly because of the center. Uh, the Jets' interior offensive line, not very good. I felt like the tackles did a nice job, all things considered. Uh, Morgan Moses gave up a sack. But as I posted earlier to Twitter, that play, Zach Wilson did have a man open. If he gets rid of the ball, it prevents the sack. But, you know, Von Miller is a guy, if you're going to get to the four-second mark, uh, he, he's a good chance he's going to get to you. He's at least going to make life difficult for you. So Von Miller had the sack against Morgan Moses. Other than, other than that, Fant looked all right on the left side. And AVT had his moments at left guard. For those of you who missed it, um, kind of called out a little bit by his teammate, which was uh, a little bit awkward. And I don't know, it may have been a private, it may have been a, a DM thing where a fan sent a picture of uh, a free runner right up the middle coming at Zach Wilson with uh, Connor McGovern sort of having sidestepped the oncoming rusher and uh, Wilson was sacked. McGovern did not take kindly to having this picture, this screenshot sent to him in which it appears he's just left his quarterback, hung out to dry. McGovern replies that, hey, man, I did my job. Uh, that, that play called for us to slide right. I slid right. Well, if you look at the picture, um, clearly AVT is the guy who didn't slide right. Because Moses and McGovern did, AVT stayed put on the left side, and that is why the defender had a free run. McGovern slid right, AVT didn't, meant a gaping hole up the middle, Zach Wilson sacked. Zach Wilson was sacked five times, and he was just, he was hit, I think the official count was nine, but it sure felt like a lot more than that watching the game. Um... As far as coaches film, all 22, I'm about halfway through it. Haven't really seen anything that surprised me. Didn't already see during the game. The Jets were just bad in a lot of ways. They couldn't throw the ball consistently because Zach Wilson, as I said, was just constantly, constantly pressured. When he was on target, too many drops. Just too many drops. 
I believe, uh, PFF. Wilson was 19 out of 35, which isn't great. Um, but when you factor in the drops, PFF had him at uh, just a shade under 70% in adjusted completion percentage. So that's that's throwing away any balls that you dirt. It's throwing away any balls that you throw out of bounds on purpose. It's throwing away drops that hit receivers in the hands and not counting those as incomplete. Um, you take away the drops and throwaways, Zach Wilson completed what was adjusted completion percentage, 70%. So not a bad day when you consider the fact that the kid was just getting harassed constantly from the get-go. On the ground, the Jets couldn't run it, but they didn't really try to run it. I said this in the post-game wrap-up. I get that they, that they were down big, but they weren't down by 50 at the half. They weren't down by 30. They were still within range where if they could have had a nice balance of pass and run, they may have been able to keep the defense off their toes a little bit or on their toes a little bit. Um, As it turns out, they ran the ball 12 times all day. 12 times. Michael Carter, nine carries for 24. Ty Johnson, three carries for 17. That's it. Carter, Carter killed them with a big drop over the middle. Ty Johnson had a couple drops himself. He was a liability in pass coverage. Or, sorry, in, a, in a picking up the blitz as a third down back. Two sacks were credited to Johnson last I looked. That was his, his blitz pickup, picking up oncoming defenders, not very good. Corey Davis, five catches for 41. And this is a this is a Zach Wilson issue here. Um, he needs to look elsewhere. Some of the throws to Corey Davis were into about as tight a coverage as you see. Guys blanketed all over him. Rich Samini tweeted out, Elijah Moore, per, per ESPN Next Gen Stats, and what they do is they put computer chips into players' shoulder pads and measure distance between players. Uh, Keelan Cole had more separation than any other... I'm sorry, not Keelan Cole. Elijah Moore had more separation than any other receiver on the roster. Average of over, over four yards of separation. He had three targets. Corey Davis, who had only a couple of yards of separation, had ten targets. That's got You've got to fix that. Whether it means Mike LaFleur calling more plays where Elijah Moore is the primary read or leaving it up to Zach Wilson to to recognize the fact that Corey Davis has somebody in his hip pocket and he's got to look elsewhere. I did mention Keelan Cole. He had his first couple catches as a Jet, two for 30. Braxton Berrios, two for 26. Jeff Smith, one for 13. Tyler Croft, two for 12. I mean, Tyler Croft, Ryan Griffin, non-factors. They combined for three catches for 17 yards. I mean, listen, I know uh, I know Chris Herndon's not doing a whole lot in Minnesota. Better than this. He's better than these guys. He can block better than these guys as well. The blocking from Croft and Griffin on the, on the All-22, not pretty. Not a good job. So you have a couple tight ends who can't catch, who can't block, or I take that back. They can catch the ball a little bit, but they're not they're not making any plays. There's no yards after the catch. Unless maybe it's a swing. And the guy makes a play with a bunch of real estate in front of him. They're not doing anything you look at and say, you know, glad he ha- glad we have that guy because he can do that. There's nothing they do that's special. And really, in a lot of aspects, they're they're functional, barely functional. So that was an area where Joe Joe Douglas definitely failed this offseason. Not only did he not upgrade the tight end position, he downgraded it. And he did it knowing he had an offensive coordinator who was going to run lots of two tight end sets. So some real head scratchers there. Uh, and it's, I mean, let's face it, those aren't the only areas where Joe Douglas made some questionable moves. All in all, 
Total yards, Jets were outgained 344 to 162, outgained 223 to 119 through the air, 121 to 43 on the ground. Broncos averaged 5.4 a play, where the Jets were 3.1. The Broncos doubled up the Jets' first down, 22 to 11. On defense, a couple numbers here that aren't embarrassing. Uh, the Jets were actually better than Denver on third down. Or Sorry, not better, but only slightly worse. Uh, but neither team was very good on third down. Jets were 4 for 13, Denver 4 for 11. So on defense, the Jets did some good things. They really did. The defense fought. And uh, listen, and oh, time of possession, by the way. Denver wins that one running away, 35-24. to 24. Just, a, just a few seconds under 36 minutes time of possession for Denver. But on defense, said this after the game, it showed up again on film. Interior defensive line did a really nice job. They re- I didn't mention Nathan Shepard on the postgame. He didn't look bad. Foley Fadakasi was himself. Sheldon Rankins, very good. Quinn and Williams. His best game of the year, a sack and a half. He shared that with Bryce Huff. Marcus May led the way with nine tackles. Really, that interior D-line, along with, um, you know, I talked about how the corners got exposed a little bit. I mean, really, in the grand scheme of things, they weren't bad. It was just the first game where we've seen them where we've seen them get beat down the field a little bit and give up some big plays through the air. That's something that we haven't really seen. And, you know, we've said teams haven't had to. They haven't had to challenge the corners because they were able to beat them in other ways. But Bryce Hall didn't look bad at all. Michael Carter the second, I thought he looked fantastic. Again, you didn't see it as much on the live feed because you just don't see the DBs down the field. But after watching the, uh, the All-22 earlier, or like I said, a little over half of it, about half of it. I thought Michael Carter looked excellent. And I saw a tweet uh, about about an hour ago that he had the uh, the highest, he was the highest rated rookie corner per PFF. And this is the thing. This is the problem with PFF, and I say it all the time. This is why you, they can't be gospel, because some of their some of their grades just don't match up at all with what you're seeing. Um, C.J. Mosley is a guy who, I thought he had a good game, not great, but he had a good game. He had a – I don't even remember what his grade was. It was atrocious in like the 20s or 30s. Um, but then you watch on film, and like I said, I'm watching, and I think to myself, Carter's having himself a hell of a day. And then, you know, and then he grades out as the top-rated corner uh, among rookies. So he's doing some things well, whether PFF recognizes, you know, everyone who's doing well is, is a completely different story. But the Jets, has, the Jets had some struggles at outside linebacker, which, again, we kind of expected this year because so many young guys, a couple of them, you know, as we know, converted converted linebackers, Hamza Nasruddin, Jamie and Sherwood. We expected these guys to have growing pains, and they are. And that's fine, you know. This is, this is the year to do it because everybody knows you're not winning anything. I will say, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to back off of that, I... I said when this team signed Morgan Moses, because my expectation was that he would be starting right tackle from day one, I thought this team could make, make a push for the playoffs. I thought maybe eight or nine wins. Now, why did I think that? I thought it would be the Sanchez approach. Hey, we've built the O-line. Let's just run it, run it, run it, run it, and let the kid pick his spots when to throw it. We're going to control the clock. We're going to play well up front and let this kid pick his spots to throw the ball down the field. And it, it's been nothing like that. I mean, first of all, of course, Beckton goes down week one. So you lose him at left tackle. Uh, and now with Morgan Moses in at right tackle, I think I think a Moses-Beckton tandem would be nice. But uh, again, but to be fair, George Fan, and I think, I'm pretty sure I said this weeks ago. I said I thought he was like a rare guy. Because I don't think you see this a lot. I think I said he was a rare guy who might be better suited to play left tackle than right. Um, and he is, he's looked much better at left tackle than he has at right tackle. So, but, but all that aside, 
You know, my expectation with this team was Becton and Moses at the tackles, AVT and Van Roten at the guard with McGovern in the middle and just pound the ball all day, eat up clock, let Wilson pick his spots. And I thought the defense, and again, this is with Carl, when they had Carl Lawson, I think this, I thought the team would, would have a shot to win a bunch of games. Um, as it turns out, they're not running the ball nearly as much as I expected. Van Roten has regressed again. Uh, Becton, of course, is out. And the, the O-line up front is really has been a disaster for the most part. So things, things fell apart in a hurry up front. We'll see what happens from here. But that's, um, that's one of the first things I really want to touch on is if you're the Jets, and I, I shot out a quick uh, pregame uh, or a, a pre-show video kind of touching on some of the things we'd be talking about tonight. And one of them, the big one is, what can the Jets do right now to get better? Right? Because here you are, 0-3, season's falling apart, and, you know, how many teams right now do you think Joe Douglas can call and say, hey, I need a starting right guard. I'll give you a fourth-round pick. Like, teams outside of a few teams, Jets being one of them, teams at this point right now are viewing themselves as, you know, either we're in a great position or we're one win away from being in a great position or a good position. As it turns out, the Jets are in what the Jets are not a team that's in a good spot. So they have to find, so they have to find ways to improve knowing that it's going to be extremely difficult to pry a starting level player away from another club. So if you're the Jets, if you're Joe Douglas, what are your options? How do you get better? Well, first thing you do, you got to get the O-line playing better. And the biggest problem on the O-line right now is Greg Van Roten. So you are limited in your options. But as I said a couple months ago, and I mentioned it briefly on the uh, on the video I, I put up earlier, every O-lineman on the roster who is not currently a starter needs to get some audition some audition time at right guard. I don't care if it's Chuma Adoga. It might, as much as I hate to say it, it might be Dan Feeney, but I suspect he might be even worse than Van Roten. Maybe he proves me wrong. I don't know. But one of those guys need to get a look because Van Roten is just not cutting it. I mean, it's just, it's just downright embarrassing. And you've got, you know, who do you have on the practice squad who you might be able to look at? I think one interesting possibility was Isaiah Williams, former Akron tackle who many projected to play guard at the pro level. And the other day, the Jets did add him to the active roster before the game um, from the practice squad. So you've got him. You've got some other guys on the practice squad. You've got Jimmy Murray, who got heavy reps in the preseason. And then you've got R- Ross Piergenbogger out of Alabama, who, uh, who was let go during the preseason, and the Jets added him to the practice squad. So those are just a, a few thoughts uh, before we go any further. We are going to go to our good friend, Alex Varallo. Alex, how you doing? Hey, Glenn. What's going on, bud? Uh, well, Alex, uh, being a Jet fan, once again, sucks. It was fun for a couple of months. Uh, <laughs> I've said before, the the only bad part of being a Jets fan is football season. Um, other than that, it's not so bad. Like, when the season ends, you always got a high draft pick. You always, you know... As of late, as of the past five, six, seven years, you always got a lot of money to spend. So you're like, all right, this is this is this is it. We're gonna hit on some picks. We're gonna spend some money. We're gonna we're gonna bring in the right free agents, and it's fun. And then you you make the picks and you sign the free agents and you spend the rest of the off season talking about how great football season is gonna be. And then football season starts, which is the uh, the the kryptonite of to to joy for Jets fans because. There's nothing to enjoy. Once the season starts, it has been a complete mess. I'm Alex, I'm just touching on, uh, I know you're just joining us, I'm, I'm touching on what the Jets can do right now to get better, knowing 
that the chances of calling a team up and being able to trade for a starting-level player on the offensive line is not impossible, but is quite unlikely. The first thing, my first thing I said the Jets have to do is in-house auditions for the right guard spot. Um, Again, I think Feeney's terrible, but look at him. Look at look at Piers and Bacher. Look at Jimmy Murray. Look at Chuma Adoga. I don't think Grant Hermans is a, a guard prospect. Why the hell not? Um, but he'd be probably the least likely guy. But the guy that I think is uh, the most interesting is Isaiah Williams. As I said, the uh, tackle out of Akron. Well, he played tackle at Akron. Uh, wh- what are your thoughts here, Alex? What can this team do? Give me one or two or three things. I have a couple more that I'm going to list. But give me a couple things yeah. this team can do right now. To uh, you know, there's nobody on this roster that they're going to say, "Well, just plug this guy in, and we'll be we'll be phenomenal." But what can they do? And of course, Denzel Mims, which we'll touch on in a minute. Um, he's actually next yeah. on my list. But uh, you can even start with Mims if you like. But give us a couple things you think that this uh, that Joe Douglas, that that uh, you know, Mike Lafleur, Robert Sala, what can they do to turn this thing around in a hurry? Yeah, I think, you know, to speak off on the offensive side, um, I did have Mims written down um, as one of my notes as, as somebody that should be getting more opportunities. Um, you know, Keelan Cole was another one. Uh, I noticed Wesco had a significant drop in snaps last week. I don't, I don't think it's, you know, I think with Mims and Wesco, you've invested draft capital into them and, you know, guys can get experience with mental reps, but there's nothing more than going out there and experiencing it live and, you know, picking up things on the fly and then going back to the tape and learning things. Mims will not progress into an NFL caliber receiver by, by being buried on the bench. Uh, same thing with Wesco. Uh, Keelan Cole, I'm not sure if he came up um, – with something that pulled him out of the game last week. I know that that happened with Elijah Moore uh, because I was looking at, you know, some of the snaps and things like that. And it amazed me how Barrios had 42 snaps compared to Keelan Cole having 27 and Moore having 26, but Moore is under concussion protocol as far as I know. So, you know, they're probably just being smart. So I get that, but even still uh, it's just really, really odd the way that they've managed certain players offensively. Uh, you know, I know you, you just talked about the offensive line a little bit here. Um, you know, and this brings me back to a question I had uh, several, maybe a few months ago uh, when we were talking about after the offseason wrapped up and after the draft and, you know, did Joe Douglas and the front office do enough to put, to make a competitive team? And uh, we had some up and down answers where, you know, we're, we're mainly positive and optimist on this show. But, you know, after three weeks of football, I think the answer is no, we haven't done enough to make a competitive roster. Uh, so I don't know if one or two players are going to change things dynamically. But, um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd really like to see less Ryan Griffin uh, and, and less Braxton Berrios. Now, I understand you're just going with who's available, who's helped. Maybe Wesco isn't picking up the offense as much as Griffin or, you know, Croft or even Daniel Brown. Um, don't know, really know the answers to that, but yeah, I think you're right. I think at this point, you know, you got a young team, you got a young roster, you've got a lot of inexperienced players. Um, everybody's making mistakes left and right. Um, even veterans. So, uh, yeah, collectively as a whole, this is just really, really poor football that we're seeing, um, you know, on the field from our players not executing. And I even think that, you know, we could come up with better game plans, um, and and better coaching as well, you know, just some some silly things that have gone at, that happened this past week. So, yeah, I I do agree with you that if certain guys are not willing to do their job at the offensive line, um, do we do we make a change here? You know, it really really stinks because we did what we could to make sure that we had depth at offensive tackle. And we didn't really do a lot on the interior side besides bringing in um, Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, a veteran uh, center, and uh, a veteran guard in, in Feeney. And not a lot of bodies, um, not a lot of long-term 
uh, answers at that offensive line. So it's easy to look back at this now and say, okay, this this wasn't right and this was wrong and, you know, things like that. But, uh, yeah, something's got to change. And, and who knows, maybe this offensive line gets it together within the next couple of weeks because it's been patch and go for the last two months um, dating back to August and training camp. So, yeah, I think that it's time even this early on in the season to sit here and say, okay, these are the guys that are on short-term contracts that aren't going to be here for the long haul. So we should probably reduce their roles and start increasing the guys that we have draft capital in and, and start trying to see how much more we can get from them. And at least you'll know rather than keeping them on your bench and saying, well, maybe in time they'll figure it out, you know, you know, in practice or they'll figure it out um, while we're doing film. No, I think they're going to figure it out by getting out there and making plays or at least trying to and failing to do so. So, yeah, I say bring on the youth movement, bring on the guys that that need these reps and and need the practice. And, yeah, we're going to have some ugly football. We've already seen ugly football. So, uh, you know, how can we improve it? Maybe by getting a spark with some of the younger players. Maybe that's the best way to go for this team. Yeah, I think the interesting thing, uh, you mentioned Wesco and – as I said the other day, you know, they went out and signed Nick Bauden, the former fullback for the Detroit Lions. Yeah. I mean, teams don't well, tend to carry a bunch of fullbacks. Um, and I know yeah. he's only on the practice squad, but you still, you've brought in a guy to take up pra- a practice squad spot. And Trevon Wesco, over the past two weeks, over the past two games, has played a total of five snaps. He played 20 snaps in week one and honestly was not very good. Um, and that was disappointing because he's a guy that, a lot of people kind of spoke up for. I know I did. I, you know, looking back at some of the work he did over the the past couple seasons, what he, where he's sort of spotty at fullback in terms of how often he got reps there. He had some some decent tape um, as a fullback. And week one against Carolina, he just was not good. Week two against yeah. New England, uh, two snaps on offense, and then against Denver, three snaps on offense. So he's kind of being phased out while they went out and added another fullback. So I wonder if his days could be numbered. Now, do you move him to tight yeah. end and put him back in that spot because there's such a you know a lack of uh, a lack of options at that position? That is a possibility. But listen, the Denzel Mims thing, I really, uh, as I said on the sh- uh, after the game, I am already tired of talking about it. But as yeah. long as you as long as you're not scoring points or moving the football, it's going to get talked about. This is a high-profile yeah. guy. It's a second-round pick. He's got all the attributes you look for in terms of speed, height, hands, uh, his, his ability to win, you know, uh, win jump balls, win 50-50 balls. He, you know, we've seen him make plays with defenders draped over his back. So we know the guy can make plays. When you have a guy like that on your roster and other guys are dropping balls left and right, people are going to talk about it. I mean, I wish it wasn't an issue. I wish we could just move on to something else. And if you, you know what? If he scored 32 points this week, hell, if he scored 21 points this week, there's probably not much to talk about. But as long as the offense is floundering and you've got Denzel Mims on the sideline, people are going to talk about it. And, and this is the issue with this, Alex. It becomes, if you're Robert Sala, now you've put yourself in a position where you can't win. And I've said this before. I said this years ago. I think, I mean, it, it's happened other times. But I remember, I want to say it was Rex Ryan with Tebow. And people were like, oh, why won't he give Tebow a shot at quarterback? Well, first of all, because Tebow sucked at quarterback. But even if he didn't, even if Tebow was, was better than Rex thought he was, by leapfrogging him on the depth chart and putting Greg McElroy in there and, make, and having Tebow sit for a few weeks, if he then plugs Tebow in and Tebow plays well, it lo- the coach looks incompetent. And the fans mm-hmm. are going to say, we would have been better three weeks ago or two, whatever, if you would have done this. Same, thing, same exact thing here. If Robert Sala plays Denzel Mims this week and he goes, you know, four catches for 88 yards and a touchdown, everyone's going to say, oh, man, what would have happened if we, if we targeted him earlier? What if Denzel right. Mims was part of the game plan from week one? And then it, then, it, then it becomes a thing where the coaching staff looks incompetent and they're not playing their best players, which is what it feels like right now. I've, I, I'm not convinced. I've not seen anything that tells me that Keelan Cole 
is so very clearly a better player than Denzel Mims. So Robert Sala stands there and tells the media, I can't start Denzel Mims because he doesn't know all three receiver spots. Okay, coach, does Keelan Cole know all three receiver spots? No, he doesn't have to because he's a starter. He just needs to know his spot. So you're asking less of the potentially inferior player in order to bench Denzel Mims and saying it's because of special teams and knowing the playbook, which, as I said, and again, I, I, Alex, I don't know if you caught it. I did a quick, quick five-minute video to kind of preview this show. Um, we saw a play. Rich Semini tweeted it out. I tweeted it out earlier in the day. So, uh, several people tweeted it out because it's such a bad look. Uh, Jets went trips right from their own 32-ish yard line. All three guys run the exact same route. They all run a dig about eight yards deep. They're standing two, three yards apart, if that. So you've got, as I said, you've got about 65 yards by 53 yards to work with, and the offensive coordinator squeezes three guys into a 10-yard window. So it's either one of the worst calls you've ever seen in your life, or a couple of guys don't know the playbook. So now you're playing right. guys who may not know the playbook, who aren't producing, and benching the guy who is. Now, Berrios, honestly, him, him playing more than Mims, I don't mind as much because you gotta, it's a slot guy versus a boundary guy. To me, Keelan mm-hmm. Cole is the one I'm looking at saying, all right, you're the guy that's keeping Denzel Mims on the bench. And I don't know that you're as explosive. I don't know that – I mean, his – in terms of hands, he might be just as good. I don't know because we've only seen him catch a couple balls, right? Right. But this team needs somebody to make plays. I don't think Keelan Cole is a playmaker per se. I think he's a good player. And you can say to me, Denzel, you know, somebody said to me the other day, Denzel Mims didn't have a single touchdown last year. What do you mean playmaker? Look, 15 yards a catch for the worst offense in the NFL. And Keelan Cole, to be fair, has had similar type seasons. But not not and as he a missed half of it too. Yeah, missed time. He's not near. You know, he he's a sort of a four five five, four five nine type receiver in terms of speed. He doesn't have the wingspan that Mims has, so he's not as fast. Doesn't have the catch radius, and uh, isn't as big of a threat as far as I'm concerned to to be you a factor really in the passing game. One? What's that? There was a particular play where we ran a tight end screen, I think, to Griffin. And they, what they did is they motioned Berrios from left to right. And Berrios was, the, was running like a, a little like curl or a hook to make it you know, look like he was running a route. But it's kind of a design screen where they get him to where he was the lead blocker for Griffin. I don't know if you remember yeah. the play. He didn't sustain his block, and Griffin got tackled about a yard or two short of that first down, and that ended up, you know, changing possession, and we punted the ball. So I'm sitting there thinking, you can't put a guy like Mims, who was known for his blocking ability in college, and when he went through his interview process, was that was the one thing that he said, what makes you different from majority of the other wide receivers? And he goes, Nobody will block better than me because I, that's what I take the most serious out of my game. Right. So even if you're just going to utilize him for run plays, that's maximizing a player's potential by putting him in what he does best. So even if you can't get him incorporated into the passing game right away, let him go out there and, and, and knock some corners on, on their butts and open up some lanes on, on the outside of the boundaries for our running backs. Because right. I'll tell you this the offensive game plan, running the ball 12 times for a rookie quarterback, regardless of the situation of the game, because the Jets weren't, like, out of it by halftime. I mean, they did get that late score within the last minute of the second quarter, but predominantly going through that first half, we were down by three and then we were down by ten. But it was within arm's reach. And then in the second half, you know, I could understand completely negating the run, having to go to the pass, and, and going, you know, um, all, all passing routes. But even still, you're not, you're not putting out your best blockers out in the field, and blocking is an issue right now all over the place. You're not running the ball effectively for the young quarterback. Um, you know, out of the 64 plays that, that were ran 
um, or the the 54 plays. I'm sorry, I think it was 54 plays. 14 of them ended up with Wilson getting hit or sacked. Five sacks, nine quarterback hits. So you're you're almost talking about like 30% of the plays. One out of every three plays, Zach Wilson getting a snot kicked out of them. So again, you know, a lot of it's up front in the offensive line. But just putting the guys in the right spot so that you can you can win those those little plays and, and keep the chains moving. Braxton Berrios should not be a lead blocker at any point in time, unless if we are just completely you know riddled with injuries at the wide receiver position. There's far too much talent in that wide receiver group room, in my opinion, where Berrios is getting majority of the snaps. But you know he is he is a decent guy. He can make a play. He can spark here and there. I'm just saying, you know, utilize the guys that do their best and, and put them out there to do what they do best is, is what Mike LaFleur should be doing offensively. Yeah, Alex, and I know that uh, you uh, you came on a few minutes later than I – a few minutes after I started that the uh, the running game was a point that I made early on, and I couldn't agree more. That they completely abandoned the run, um, the, every, you know, and I said it, and you, you just kind of reiterated it. Um, this team, it wasn't 30 nothing at the half. You know, this team, this game was close enough, even at the half, to come out and keep trying to run the football. And you can tell me the, the run blocking wasn't there. And you know what? It was probably, it was at least as good or as bad, depending on how you look at it, as the pass blocking. So may, maybe, maybe run the ball a little more and give these guys a chance to get into a rhythm. Because um, a lot of times that's what it's about. You know, guys, they like to run block. And you, you start running it enough, and they get into a rhythm, they get a feel for the game. And and then you start putting your quarterback in a position to make plays. But 12 carries, 12 run plays is just it, – it's it's ridiculous. And I think the Jets might – listen, they might be in trouble um, with with Michael Floor. He's, we're only a few games in. Of course he's going to make mistakes, of course. Uh, but yeah. it's been really bad early on. And I think one thing, whether Robert Sala likes it or not, regardless of what Zach Wilson wants, I think you've got to send LaFleur upstairs. If that's where he's most comfortable and that's where he wants to be, you have to say, all right, look, uh, Zach, I understand you want to be face-to-face with this guy when you're talking to him, but you're going to have to talk to him on the phone like a lot of other quarterbacks do, and we're going to need, mm-hmm. we're going to, need to send him upstairs and see if that helps things. And, and that's, it, it's a weird thing, but guys just have preferences. Some coordinators have a better feel for the game when they can see the whole field. Um, and some guys like being down there on the sideline so they can get a feel for the sideline and, and momentum and how guys are feeling and what, you know, where things are going. I understand that. But when you're struggling the way the Jets are, you need to start doing some things differently, and that's an easy one for Robert Sala to say, all right, Mike, you feel like you're better at your job when you're upstairs. Let's have you upstairs so we can see how it goes. Because you're about to be 0-4. Uh, I'll tell you what, Alex. I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, this is this is like a once every seven, eight, nine, ten, however many years type of thing. The Jets are playing two hours from my house next weekend. Not this weekend, but the next. I might mm-hmm. not go. I might not go. Why? Because I'm not prepared to drop a thousand dollars on a team that's playing like this. And for me, honestly, when you consider. A trip down to London. I'm not. I'm not. It's not a day trip. It's a multiple hour trip. So I'm staying a night or two in London if I go down there. That's that's like five six hundred bucks on a hotel. You throw in a dinner or two, and then you throw in game tickets. My my plan was to bring the family. That that alone, like if I go here, I, I my own admission, I'm being kind of a snob. I'm not going to go down to London. And sit in the 840th row. Like, if I'm going to the game, I want to be field level. Those tickets, minimum, couple hundred pounds, well, a couple hundred pounds, nearly $300 each. So if wow. I want to get this, like, if I want to bring the family, that's 1200 bucks on, on tickets. That's before I buy a drink, a hot dog, and a hotel room. So even if I just say, look, my kids are seven and eight. They'll enjoy it, but they don't have to go. Right? Let's say I'm going to go on my own. Again, that's three hundred bucks for a ticket. That's still that same six or seven hundred bucks on a hotel, plus a couple of dinners. Like I'm looking at a grand on a team that can't move the football. 
that's a tough yeah. pill to swallow. That's really oh, yeah. like, I don't know. And like I said, I well, Glenn, maybe be less of a snob and pay ninety bucks and sit in the last row of the venue. That's I I don't know. That's more acceptable if I'm at MetLife, but at a neutral site where there's not gonna you're not gonna have that same vibe. Like it's not gonna be a Jets crowd. I don't know, man. It's uh, but like if you would have told me when they announced the Jets are playing in London, Glenn, you might miss that game by choice. I would have said, "What are you out of your damn mind?" They got a rookie quarterback. They're going to be playing competitive football. I wouldn't. I'll drop a grand on that. You know, I'd start socking money away months in advance, so I can get to where you know I can pay for that. But uh, now, even even with the money, I'm I'm better off spending that. On, you know, hey, Christmas is in a couple months. You know, that that'll be my Christmas gift money. Something. But the, yeah, the fact I, that I'm willing I'm going to potentially this weekend. What's that? Yeah, I'm going to be there this weekend to watch Derrick Henry run amok on us, and I'm going to have to pretend like uh, like I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I mean, either. listen, are you are you going to? By the way, I wanted to plug that. Speaking of plugs, actually, let's yes. let's talk about our sponsor, uh, Mile Social. If you are a business owner and you are looking for a hand managing all of your social media platforms, because let's face it, folks, there are a million of them. It is a job in itself. Let Miles Social take that over for you. Go to milesocial.com. That's M-I-L-E social.com. Whether it's your company's Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, whatever it may be, let Miles Social take over the management of all of your company's social media platforms. That's milesocial.com, M-I-L-E social, milesocial.com. So check them out. The other thing I wanted to plug, if you go to jetnation.com, I believe there are tickets left, Alex. I'm not 100% sure, but they are having a a tailgate uh, slash get together. Um, anyone can go, but it's it's you know we're hoping to get as many members out there from JetNation.com. JetNation.com, uh, as I say all the time, best forums on the internet. If you're a Jets fan, most active message boards online. Um, go to JetNation.com. Check out the thread. There are tickets. I believe still a few tickets available. For, uh, yes, that includes your includes tailgate, food, drinks, and your game ticket. Everyone's sitting together. Should be a really great time. Um, and I, and I don't have the numbers in me. front of me. Yeah, I was I was gonna say I'm sure I'm sure Alex will be there. I wish I could go. I really do. Um, hopefully one of these years, um, you know, we'll, when COVID is really, you know, when we're over this, um, and yep. it's a little bit easier to travel. I'll be out there for a couple games at some point uh, in the not-too-distant future. But uh, check those out. We talked about Denzel Mims. We talked about the O-line. Um, another change, Alex. Uh, this is a small one, but I, I just in the name of getting guys on the field who might, if, if Zach Wilson is blessed with enough time to make a throw um, and he gets the ball into somebody's hands, maybe take a look at Kenny Yaboa. Because yeah. of all the tight ends on the roster – He's the only guy yeah. who's really an athletic dude. Even if you move Wesco, if, if, you, if, you, if you go with a different fullback and you move Wesco to tight end, you still don't have that athletic guy who can you know, run up the seam and, and create a mismatch and beat somebody deep. I think Yaboa can be that guy. He's an undrafted free agent. Is he ready? You know, is he ready for, for the NFL right now? That, I, I don't know. I just know the Jets need somebody on the field who can threaten a defense up the seam. And Kenny Yaboa, given his skill set, should be able to do that better than Tyler Croft or Griffin or Wesco or, I mean, Brown's just a special teams guy primarily. Um, so, yeah. again, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying, well, just plug Kenny Yaboa in and you can hang with the Chiefs. That, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, how can you get some guys on the field for Zach Wilson to work with who pose a threat to defenses. And to me, that's Denzel Mims, more of him, and more of Yaboa. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, Alex, but um, I have one question. Before you, before mm-hmm. you give your thoughts on a potential Yaboa addition to the roster, I tweeted this out the other day, only half-joking. I was only half-joking, because I could see this happening. Um, if Robert Sala is going to be this stubborn with the Denzel Mims situation, so Elijah Moore is in the concussion protocol, which means there's a chance he won't play. 
Um, yeah. Jamison Crowder has the uh, the world's most severe injury, uh, groin injury, uh, in the history of the NFL. It was a day-to-day injury close to two months ago now, and he still hasn't seen the field. So if, we, if game day approaches and the day before the game, you know, whether it's Dennis Wazak or whoever, you know, the, the beat writers will tweet out the, uh, the players who have been added to the roster for game day. What's going to happen when the Jets announce the day before the game that they've added Vincent Smith to the active roster and he is on the field on Sunday and Denzel Mims is not? Uh, a lot of eye rolling is what I'm doing now, and I'll definitely be doing that if that ever happens. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I said earlier, you know, I think there's a little bit of mismanagement going on at the moment. Um, but, I, you know, how do you, how do you manage a, a game when, you know, you have eight penalties for, like, negative 90 or 89 yards or something like that? I think I saw. Um, yeah, that that that's just – this whole men situation is really, really has me, you know, scratching my head here. Uh, I thought we were moving on from the regimes that were a little bit, you know, stubborn or, or didn't, um, you know, not, not putting their guys in the right spot or not seeing the potential in particular players. Um, you know, Daniel Brown was another one I just eye rolled. I don't understand how a guy like that is, is getting snaps. I mean, the special teams, like, that crazy important? I mean, really? I mean, I, I don't know. They've changed the way that they kick, they do the kick returns. So you're seeing more of those returns getting, you know, negated by, by the ball going through the, the goalposts. So you're seeing less and less returns. I haven't seen a punt return touchdown in God knows how long from this team or others for that matter. Then holding spots for players like that and making guys like that active um, when you have, playmakers, you know, on the sideline doing nothing. And, and again, you know, two weeks ago when we activated Crowder, it really made no sense to me. You didn't have to activate him. You could have kept him on. If you weren't anticipating on having him available for Sunday, you didn't have to activate him, but you did. And that cost somebody else's spot. So I'm definitely seeing a little bit of mismanagement here with the way that they're working on certain players. Um, as far as the Kenny Yeboa, the guy's got talent. Um, you know, he did some really, really nice things at the end of the uh, preseason. Uh, he was a little bit quiet before that. I remember in training camp, he started off, you know, looking pretty good. And then he kind of got buried and, you know, he had some drops and things like that. And you can clearly see that he was either going to be a number three or number four or a potential practice squad guy, which he is now. Uh, but, yeah, if, if Tyler Croft, if this chest injury ends up making him miss time, yeah, I don't want to be seeing Daniel Brown and Ryan Griffin as the pairing for our two tight end set. I would much rather see, you know, Wesco getting his snaps out there. I'd rather see Yaboa getting the opportunities because if they do happen to click and they do show that they have potential, well, now these are guys that we can invest in for our future and that we can continue to elevate and if things go well, that's great for our team, and that's great for building the roster through the draft, whether it's in the actual draft or the UDFA process. But to give guys more opportunities that don't have contracts going into 2022, I just think that that's I – th- I think that's just a dumbheaded move to do. Uh, you know, you can't tell me otherwise. I, I just feel that this is uh, – we're seeing a little bit of mismanagement from some inexperienced uh, coaches and, and, and who knows how long it's going to take them to realize that and start making the right decision so that we could start seeing more positive things. Yeah. I think uh, this, listen, this, this, when you're losing, this is what happens. Everybody, everybody gets put under the microscope. Everyone gets scrutinized. Everyone gets picked apart. Uh, but let's face it at this point, uh, there are some guys in this organization as early as it may be, who deserve to get picked apart. Um, Joe Douglas is one of them. Um, you know, we only got a couple minutes left here, Alex. Uh, but yeah. I'm, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'm, uh, I'm working on an article right now, uh, looking at Joe Douglas, uh, probably, probably throw a video up, which I will say, um, as I said, been doing post game videos, did a, a, a preview of the show. 
Um, I'm kind of liking it, Alex. I, I know I've said for years I don't want to do video because I have a face like a foot. But really, um, there's uh, there's some people out there who who, uh, who probably don't have a lot of business uh, be, being in front of a camera either. But it's I feel like it's easier to just kind of get organize your thoughts and get them all out. Because Pete, listen, the Joe Douglas thing that there's like a lot of levels to that. And there's part of me thinking, is someone going to read an 1800 word article versus a 15 minute conversation? I don't know. But let's talk about Joe Douglas real quick, Alex. Um, mm-hmm. Neglected the tight end position this offseason. And yes, I'm 100% admitted Chris Herndon, you know, devout Herndon fan. And I understand he's doing nothing in Minnesota. But to me, he's better than what they have now. And Joe Douglas traded mm-hmm. him away, uh, yep. knowing they were going to go tight end heavy. And he brought in Dan Feeney, who I, I think of all the moves Joe Douglas made, that was the only one that really, like, the second it was announced, I was like, what the hell is he thinking? Every other move, you can kind of think through it and try to think, okay, maybe he's thinking this, maybe he views that, maybe they're going to do this with the guy. Like, there's a way it can kind of make sense. Feeney, there was none. People tell me, well, he's a veteran. He's a veteran, experienced starter. Yeah, he's a terrible veteran, experienced starter. Like, just because a team was dumb enough to start you doesn't mean you're good, right? I mean, at one point, you could say Geno Smith was a veteran starter at quarterback. Does that mean you want to give him a bunch of money to start for you or to play? No, you don't. And that's, you know, that's just kind of the way it is. So, really bad job there. The, the, one ca- the one area where I'll give Joe Douglas somewhat of a pass is that, I mean, it's not realistic, especially this day and age. No team is like three, four, five guys deep at an offensive line position. Like, you're lucky if you have one quality backup, and then the guys behind them are generally projects or – you know, late round picks or veterans who have never started. Like no one, no one's like, all right, next man up, our fifth guard is going to be awesome. That just doesn't happen. Um, and I wonder if the plan was to uh, to slowly work Cam Clark in as the starting right guard this season. And obviously, that spinal injury. Who knows if he'll play ever again? Um, there really doesn't seem to be anything. You know, nothing solid in terms of what's coming out information wise regarding cam clark and his long-term future i mean they probably don't know yet but once cam clark went down i think that was a big blow um i think the plan was to have him be the starter at some point and then van roten drew back up with feeney behind him which is more understandable um but really the the offensive line bringing in feeney and you know what kills me alex and i know listen i know fans can do this all the time if you pulled up every tweet I sent out about every prospect leading up to the draft, you'd probably find 95% guys who suck. And you can say, ah, glad you're not the GM, you idiot. If we would have taken that guy, blah, 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 blah. However, um, two guys that I was all over these last this past year, Trey Smith out of Alabama, who looks like an absolute beast in Kansas City. He hung around till the sixth round because of some blood clot issues. I had said I wanted the Jets to take him in round one uh, with that Seattle pick before the blood clots became an issue or before I, I found out about it. And uh, the other one being Brian Edwards, um, who I absolutely loved, and he's, seen, he's really turning it on in Vegas now. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. that aside, Joe Douglas didn't do a great job with the offensive line, which is supposed to be his area of, of expertise, and he neglected the tight end position. And the draft picks really, I think – Alex, and this is the last thing I'll say. I'll let you share your last thoughts, and then we'll wrap things up. I think your stance, anyone's stance on Joe Douglas, is going to rely heavily on how you view player injuries. I've always said, if a guy gets hurt who has no significant injury history, I'm not putting that on the GM. It's football. Guys get hurt. It's the NFL. Guys get hurt. You cannot project that. Unless it's a guy like Blake Cashman, where you say, well, he's had multiple surgeries, he's had multiple injuries, like, we're going to roll the dice on him, but if this one busts, that's on you, GM. You overlooked it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to guys like Becton and guys like Ashton Davis, um, these guys haven't had lengthy, uh, you know, worrisome injury histories. And right now, Joe Douglas's first draft class, they're all hurt. 
but none of them. Yeah. Uh, well, I get Mims. I think had some Mims had a hand like a broken bone in college or something. Uh, so nothing like not like repeated multiple injuries where you had to worry about his durability. Um, so some people are killing Joe Douglas because his half his first draft is on IR. I look at that and say, look, you can't predict these things. It's it's incredibly bad luck, but it's not on Joe Douglas. Now, if you want to criticize him for taking Jabari Zuniga where he took him just based on what type of player he is, I can get on board with that. I can get on board with being critical of James Morgan, like just because he's not good. That's different. So the, I think the, the, the takes on Joe Douglas are going to be rely heavily or revolve heavily around how a person views how, how culpable is a GM when guys get hurt. So uh, what are your thoughts, Alex, on the, the relationship Joe Douglas has with the fans right now based on the production of the, the primarily of his draft picks? But if we're being honest, his free agents haven't been so hot either. Yeah, his free agent program this year has blown up in his face entirely. Losing Joyner and Lawson for the year, that hurts. Uh, you know, I think uh, Keelan Cole started the season off injured as well. That one hurt um, a lot. And then Jared Davis, you know, he ends up getting hurt too. So none of his big free agent signings that were going to be not foundation pieces, but starters, uh, you know, have blown up in his face. And that's unfortunate. You know, those are things you can't foresee. Um, so maybe that's bad luck. Uh, you know, as far as the draft is concerned, it's, it's interesting how some of the later picks that he's had, like Bryce Hall, you could say is probably going to be one of his better picks that he's had. Uh, you know, Eccles and Michael Carter, uh, those guys are – you know, we have to talk about some positive things. I think Carter played pretty good considering the the game was pretty terrible and he probably went unnoticed. But I did see some good things that he did last weekend and he did some good things week two. So, you know, we may have a good nickel corner to come out of this one draft. If Eccles, who may end up being the guy that gets picked on the most this year due to the fact that he's a rookie and inexperienced, but he does seem to play with passion. I like his fire. Uh but, yeah, I mean, when you look at everything on a whole, uh, you know, I said this earlier, I don't think that we're built to win games. And, and I get it. We're in a rebuild. That's what people will say to sugarcoat, you know, uh, the bad stuff that goes on here. But, yeah, you know, you should always be – there should be that mentality to where I'm doing – you know, I'm never doing enough. Like, there's always something more that I can do. And if you have that mentality, you'll always be successful. And I think that being complacent with – uh, you know, not taking two guys at the offensive line in last year's draft has come back to bite you. Um, you know, because maybe he did have anticipate Cam Clark to, to emerge. So, you know, maybe I should pull that take back. But even this past season, um, you know, ABT is probably going to be a really, really good offensive lineman for us. But at what cost? We gave up two-thirds and a one to go up and get him. Uh, what could we have done with those picks? Maybe we end up with a Creed Humphrey who can replace Connor McGovern, who's not that great, and then those third-round picks may be interior offensive linemen that could be the answers to our poor uh, interior blocking that we've got going on right now. So it's, it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback, but, yeah, I think that at the moment right now, Joe Douglas may have, been, may have done some decent trades in the past that you know, have given us some potential in our drafts for the future. But uh, I can't really say that he's hit on all of them. It is going to take time to see more development for these guys. But, yeah, at the moment, um, I don't think Joe Douglas is on a trajectory to see out his entire contract, unless if a lot of these players start emerging within the next few weeks or over the next year. So, yeah, he's on watch as well. Nobody should be safe as far as I'm concerned um, in the front office or on the field, you know, for guys that are fighting for spots. All right, Alex, very well said. Thanks so much for, uh, for, for getting on tonight. I'm glad we were able to knock this one out, and uh, even as bad yeah. as the Jets have been. And as well, I said at the top, thing. next week. Sorry, what was that, Alex? Yeah, just a um, quick one, guys. Uh, we'll be doing a, a short show tomorrow. I'll be doing a show tomorrow. We have a new sponsor. Um, so a little breaking news for JetNation.com. 
And um, I'm going to leave it just at that. So please tune in again tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. for another quick show by me uh, and our new sponsor. And, uh, yeah, we've got some fun stuff to talk about for tomorrow night. Yeah, do me a favor, Alex, with that sponsor. Um, find out from them if uh, if their if their site is active in in the UK because I'll I'll jump on that for sure. Um, yep. Yeah. But uh, that that's about it for us tonight, folks. Uh, Jets look terrible. Hopefully, better things to come this week against Tennessee. Uh, don't see that happening, but uh, just some improvement. I mean, I don't I don't know if it's too much to ask at this point. But how about uh, look look competitive and uh, and competent? Maybe even competent for like a half. Because really, if Alex, you removed that that second half of week one, and I think this team scored three points this year. Like they had a good half. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Everything else is all. There was an eight and a six and a bunch of zeros. So um, yeah. hopefully, uh, hopefully more competitive football this week. Thanks so much for tuning in, Jets fans. Uh, we'll be back next week. Myself, Alex, and Dylan Terriman. So have a good one, folks. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!